Okay, I'm going to pray. Then we'll get, get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Uh, thank you that we can laugh together and have fun, um, even though our hands and fingers might be a little sore. I pray that you would just be uh, so strong and so big in this place. Spirit, that you would move in this next half an hour in our hearts. Open our eyes, open our ears, that we may come to know more of the truth of who you are. Amen. Did my mic just back up? Hello. I just leaned forward and it went away. We'll make it, I think. We'll make it. So, there on Sunday night, you've heard about it, the horrible tragedy that happened in Las Vegas, right? Whole lot of, just a horrible, horrible, horrible thing for the people who were there, families who weren't there. I'm sure you've read things on the internet, and it's just been, it was a very tragic event. I want to read an article to you. Um, it doesn't make light of the event, okay? So I don't, I don't, when I read this, that it's, that it's making light or making fun of an event like that or the thing that happened. This article is more speaking to what people do with events like that, okay? And the way that we change um, even the truth of what happened to fit our views and our some political whatever. It's from a website called the Babylonian Bee. If you've been to it, it's a, it's a satirical website. Uh, and it's biblical. Well, it's put on by Christians. The article, st- uh, the headline is, Tragedy forces every American to ask how they can bend the facts to support their preferred narrative. And it starts off saying, In the wake of the, most, the worst mass shooting in the nation's history, that ended at least 59 lives and wounded over 500 others, citizens across America were forced to take a quick, hard look at the facts and ask themselves how exactly they can bend what actually happened during the course of this ghastly tragedy so that it supports their own preferred narrative. When I saw what happened in Las Vegas, this is a quote, made-up quote, When I saw what happened in Las Vegas, it was so tragic, I knew immediately that I had to find a way to twist the story so it furthered my political and social beliefs, one man told local reporters. We all have our differences in this country, but when a national tragedy of this magnitude takes place, we have no choice but to do whatever it takes to frame it in such a way that it pins the blame on our enemies and scores us in points in internet debates with other people on the other side. Now, some of you are like, I have no idea what that even means. Basically, it means that we take an event that happens, and instead of seeing for what it, for what it is and speaking truth about it and you know, being sorrowful, we automatically take that and we might twist the facts. You might have seen, if you're on Facebook or on the internet, you'll see, you'll have read different articles that seemingly contradict each other. And in this case, it might be about guns, it might be about you know, who knows what. And we're not going to get into any of that, but we as people do that, right? We take things that happen and we see in our life and we twist it to go through this lens that we, how we want to see it. And so many people do that with God. And so many people do that with scripture. They take a verse, right? Or they take a chunk of verses and they, they take it out of context. They twist it a little bit and say, this is what I feel like this verse makes me feel. And so this is what it is. 
When in reality, there is a true meaning. There is a true, especially with the event on Sunday night, there is a true thing that happened. And when it comes to scripture, there is truth in the Bible. And instead of just taking bits and pieces and whatever makes me feel good, tonight we're talking about, oh, and the same goes for God, our view of God. My God is whoever I, makes me, you know, whoever fits within my view of who I think God should be. And the one that I can just carry around with me and makes me feel happy inside, right? Some people would view that way. Tonight we are looking, our text includes one of the most common verses of all time. Anyone know? John 3.16, right? People who haven't even really looked at the Bible, a lot, some adults who aren't even church attenders would be able to at least tell you a little bit about what that verse means or what they think it means. And I would argue that in a lot of ways, they get it completely off. And I think in a lot of ways, we don't fully understand the extent of it as well. We're not just going to read John 3.16 tonight. We're going to do the whole chapter, okay? It's a lot. Stick with me. We will go through it. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Remember, the Pharisees were a group of high religious leaders, right? And they were really like stuck to the letter of the law. You have to do these things, you can't do these things, and they would make sure that other people knew that, both about them, that they were, you know, pretty great, you know, check me out type thing. And they would also just make sure other people stuck to that. Verse 2. So Nicodemus is one of those guys, a part of that crew. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus doesn't even ask a question. He says a statement. We know that your teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus responds in a way that seems from our perspective to not even be what Nicodemus is getting at, but Jesus knows the core of where his heart is. And he answers first by saying, truly, truly, which means, and he says it a few times in this passage, truly, truly means your question is even way off. Okay? Truly, truly means like you think you know, but this, I'm about to tell you what's up. I'm about to tell you what really happens, okay? Because the reality is the way, that, the way that one sees and is a part of the kingdom of God is that they need to be born again. If you're curious about what that phrase means, you're not the only one. Because Nicodemus said to him in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Isn't that kind of funny? Like, even that visual? Don't think about it too long. Jesus answered. But he's like, can this really happen? Jesus answered, truly, truly. So he says this again, like, you have no idea. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The term born again is one that we 
Sometimes people have grown up in the church that they just toss it out there as like, you know, so I'm a born-again Christian. And people who haven't really read the Bible, who aren't familiar, will be like, what? Right? Kind of like Nicodemus. We call that Christianese. Okay? Christianese. Also a word you can use. Anyway, so when Jesus talks about being born again, Nicodemus, like some of you just pictured, actually pictures someone, a grown man or a grown person, being born for a second time. And Jesus is like, if that's what you're thinking, you got it wrong. Because this isn't something that happens in the flesh, okay? It doesn't happen within the fleshly world, within even something that our brains can even picture or wrap, around, wrap our mind around. Because he talks about being born of the water and the spirit. The water means like in the, wor- like the world, okay? And the spirit means spirit. Okay, the spirit realm. Being born of the water is the flesh part, but being born of the spirit is the second part. That's the born again part. It's a spiritual act. It's an act of the spirit and not something that physically occurs. So we know that being born again is something that is born of the spirit, a spiritual new birth. You're still like, this seems very vague. Spiritual new birth, like... These weird terms that I don't understand. Nicodemus is still confused as well. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? He's kind of like, don't, Aren't you the one who's supposed to have all the answers, who has it all together? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. FYI. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this passage can be sometimes become confusing. How many of you are like, uh, what? A little bit confused? Some of you are tracking. You're on it, okay? But we, I want to look at what we know because I want you guys to be able to go home and when you read a passage of Scripture to start to pick out things and be able to understand what it means so that you don't read Scripture and you're like, um... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm done. Because sometimes it can be a little confusing. But let, let, let's look at the things that we do know, okay? From what we've learned the last couple of weeks, we know that Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God, and that he am, he's talking about himself, okay? And he is the only one who knows all the heavenly things while being on earth. We also know that he has to be lifted up because it says it in verse 14. Right? And that, and then, and that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. These are things we know, right? Because it says that in the scripture. There's this story that we don't know and that you might not be familiar with, but Nicodemus would have been familiar with it about Moses and this serpent that he holds up, okay? And, he's, and it's a story about when God was working in the lives of the Israelites and they were be, being disobedient and there was punishment. And basically in order for them to be forgiven, they had to look to God, which in this moment was this serpent. Now, I don't want you to get all weirded out because like, okay, God's in the form of the serpent. Like that totally messes with a lot of things. I want you to know that that in that moment is what God used, Okay. So Jesus is taking a story that Nicodemus would have known, 
And even though it's one that we're like, huh? <laughs> I don't quite get it. Nicodemus would have been tracking with him at this time and saying that when they looked up to this is when they, they received forgiveness they, in, in that moment anyway. And so this idea that Jesus is going to be lifted up and that those who look to him will receive eternal life. Now that was the last time that Nicodemus at Nicodemus Nicodemus asked a question, but Jesus just keeps on talking. He's like, I got more things to say. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? There's the verse. How many recognized it? There's the verse. The part that I want us to point out is the word believes. Okay? The word believes is found in both verse 15 and 16, and it is, a, it is the hinge on which eternal life is possible. It is the hinge, believes. The word believes is an interesting one because when we're talking about, um, when, when someone comes to me and we talk about what it means to give your life to Jesus, right? What it means to trust in him. What it means to, how can I have a relationship with God? How can I have, give my life to Jesus? How can I receive forgiveness and eternal life? And I, and I so often point to the verse in Romans that talks about if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I feel like that verse has so much powerful, it's so super, and it's strong. But again, we have that word believe. What does it mean to believe? And sometimes we think about that one moment. Okay, if you grew up in the church, maybe, uh, or your, you know, your parents guided you or the Holy Spirit guided you, when you were young, you prayed and you asked Jesus into your heart. And you asked him to forgive you of your sins. When it was For me, it was when I was five. Okay, I remember I prayed with my mom. I gave my life to Jesus. I was like, yes. You know, as a five-year-old, well, however much I knew, but I knew enough at that moment. And sometime, we, that's what we think. We think back to that moment where we confessed with our mouth and we believed in our heart. And that's a good thing. It's a good to have a moment like that when you come to a place and a moment in time where you've given your life to him and you've, you've said yes to the forgiveness that's offered from him. But I find many adults, even when you ask them about their relationship with God, when you ask them about all these things, they point back to, yeah, I prayed this prayer when I was six, and I go to church. And I'm like, yeah, as a 30 and 40-year-old, that's great, but what about now? Like, what's happening now? The word that is used in these verses is not a, I believed at one point in time, and that was my moment, and that was where, you know, I prayed that prayer, and now I'm good to go. I've got my ticket, and I'm headed on the fast train to heaven, or whatever. This isn't the beliefs that he's talking about isn't a one-and-done point in time. It's actually an active participle or something. It's one of those words that's ongoing, okay? It's not just a one moment. It's an on- I was not, never good in grammar or English or whatever, okay? You can give me a hard time about it. It's ongoing. N.T. Wright talks about this analogy, and he talks about that if you were to walk up to me and you were to have a conversation with me and you were to say, Prove to me that you're alive, okay? I wouldn't pull out my birth certificate and say, see, 
I'm alive. Because all my birth certificate tells you is when and where I first came to life. But to, all, to prove that I'm alive right now, I'm living, I'm speaking to you, I'm breathing, my heart is beating. My birth certificate doesn't tell you that I'm alive right now. And so often we do that same thing. We point back to that one moment in time and that one time event when right now, what does your belief look like? Living it out. That you're living in him What does it look, the word believes, look like in your daily life right now? Remember, John's writing to a group of people who did believe or they claimed to believe. Believe. The word belief can also, and this is where I start to get challenged a little bit, because the word belief can also be translated trust. Because we use the word believe all the time. A lot of people say, well, yeah, I believe in God. If I polled your schools, okay, if I sent a a questionnaire around to all your friends and I said, do you believe in God? I bet you 80% would say, yep, I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in God. But is that, is that real? When we say the word belief, people ask me, okay, I'm 28 and I'm single stating the obvious, okay? So people like try and set me up with guys all the time. No, just sometimes. But they'll be like, my first question is really, I'm like, do they love Jesus? That's my question. Do they love Jesus? I'm like, well, they believe in God. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. A lot of people say they believe in God, but what does that mean? What does that look like in their life? Because what most people think the word believe means when it comes to God is not what is reality. Because this belief that we're talking about when it comes to eternal life is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? And does your life actually show that? Tom uses this analogy, and I think it's awesome, of belief. When it comes to living it out and actually believing. Because if I were to come up to you and I were to say, Paige, the building is on fire! And Paige just sits there and goes, I believe you. No, really, the building is on fire. Yeah, I believe you. No, she doesn't. If she believed me, she would be running out those doors. Do you see the difference? One is just saying, I believe you. And one is acting out of trust that that is the reality of what's happening. What does it look like to have that kind of belief in God? that kind of trust in God. On the bad days, trusting that he's there. It's finding your worth in him even when you don't have any friends or people surrounding you. Trusting him with your money, trusting him with your future, your relationships. It's knowing that you are in need of forgiveness. It's available through him. It's knowing that his way is the best way even when you don't want it. Like even when you're like, I don't, I want this but trusting that what he has for you is the best way. And I'm speaking from someone who that, it's it's a struggle too. We all struggle with that. It's knowing that you are in need of forgiveness. It's living like you trust him. It's living knowing that this world is not what we were created for and it is not our home. And trusting that. 
It's living with a perspective of his rather than what this world says or even what you think is right. Because God loved this world so much that even when it turned its back on him, the one who created it, that he sent the only son that he had to die, to take our place, to let forgiveness come freely available to those who trust so that those who do trust will not perish, will not waste away, will not experience death, but will have eternal life. Do you see in that verse that there's only two options? We either perish or we have eternal life. And sometimes we want, I think sometimes we want a middle ground. I watched a few episodes of this show called um, The Good Place. It was okay. But what happens, basically the whole premise is the main actress dies, and the opening scene, she's awake, and she's in the good place. Okay? So there's the good place, and there's the bad place. Now, she's actually there by mistake. Her and someone else who had the exact same name as her died at the same time. They got switched, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she's sitting in the chair talking to one of the, like, angels. Okay, what they would call minions of the highest person. They don't use, use biblical language. Well, it's not biblical. But she sits in the chair and she says, you know, isn't there like a middle place? So we have the good place and we have the bad place, but isn't there like a middle ground? You know, for the people who aren't like really good or really bad, but just like, you know, the middle people. And I feel like so many of us feel that way. Can't there be like a middle place? And I know that even there's been times in my life where I'm like, "Uh." but do we really, I would argue that if we want a middle place, that we fully don't understand what God's done. That we fully don't understand what it means to live in light of the forgiveness of Christ. Because if we understood that, we wouldn't want the middle place. We wouldn't want the middle place. We would want to be in relationship with Christ and to live in the fullness that comes from him. You guys, if you've never come to that moment where you've asked Jesus to forgive your sins, if you haven't trusted in him with your life, what are you waiting for? And maybe for some of you, it was something that you did a long time ago, and you just need to have some time with God today and be like, okay, I didn't really understand then, but I do now. Because if you're waiting for tomorrow, you're waiting until you get through something, I'm going to do these fun things, and then I'll make a commitment to Jesus. But I want to try out some of these other things first. If you're waiting for when you get a little older, when you're waiting for things to make sense, you might not have the time. Why wait any longer? Start today. Because we have to start somewhere. Pray today to start trusting in him. And I want to point out real quick that if, if that is a commitment that today you make, I want to point out that that is the point of being reborn. That is the point where the Bible says the old has gone and the new has come. That you are a new creation in that moment and you don't have to live the ways that you did. But you are also an infant. 
And so if you say yes to Jesus and forgiveness in him, it doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to be this perfect person and you're going to just know all and be all and life's going to be grand and it's going to be perfect because you're an infant and you're still learning and figuring things out. When a baby is first born, you look, it can't do anything. Literally. It can't even lift up its arm. And so when we're reborn in Christ, there is a beginning process of learning to grow. And what does this even mean to be like in this new birth and this new world, essentially, this new family? So if that's you, talk to someone, tell someone who you know is reborn so that you can learn and you can grow and know how to live for Christ. For God did not send his, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This morning I woke up really early for me. Okay, I don't have to wake up that early, but I just kind of complain when I have to get up a little bit early. So I got up early to have coffee with a friend, and it was dark outside. Seriously, it's one of the parts I don't like about getting later in the year. Anyway, it was dark outside, and so... I complained about that for a second, but then I got ready, you know, I got ready to go, I ate some breakfast, and I didn't have socks on, and so I went into my room, didn't turn on the light, just, I know where my socks are, grabbed them, looked at them, these look, okay, this is good, white socks, put them on, put my shoes on, go to coffee, sit down, drinking my coffee, look at my shoes, literally, these are the socks that are on. If you can't see them, they are highlighter yellow, okay? I can't tell you how sure I was that these socks were white when I put them on. Like, I literally looked at them and had a cognizant moment of, these are white, and I put them on my feet. Seriously, it happened. And I'm sitting at coffee, and I'm like, what the heck? That's the thing about the dark. That's the thing about darkness. And darkness includes not trusting in God. It's uh, living in a place of sin. It is following the world. Not only is darkness a place where we can get comfortable, a place where we can grow to start to enjoy, even though it's a toxic place. And we don't even realize how deceptive it can be. And we can start to think it's one way and this is actually good and I'm having a good time and this is good for me. What, do, what are all these people saying, right? But that's what the dark does. And the more we're in the dark, the more it deceives and says, yeah, that's good. Yeah, choose that. But the moment that we step into the light and the moment the light is shown on our lives, we have this moment of, oh, man. I had no idea my socks were highlighter yellow. I had no idea that the way I was living my life was getting going, making me go down that path. I had no idea how far I had gotten from God. I had no idea. And sometimes the light can be a little scary at first because we walk in the light and we have shame. We walk in the light and we're scared of what other people will think of us because maybe they'll hear about what happened in the dark. 
The light is where life is. The light is where darkness doesn't have to have a hold on us anymore. It's the truth. It's the life. You're going to get to read the last 14 verses at home because I'm not going to push us tonight. You guys, if you're at a place tonight where you've never trusted in Jesus, what are you waiting for? I'm going to give you two minutes right now. We're all going to pray at the same time, not out loud, and I'm not going to tell you what to say. We're all going to pray at the same time. If you're a person who you are like, yeah, what am I waiting for? What are you waiting for? Tonight, pray to give your life to Jesus. And if you're like, yeah, okay, I've, I'm there. I've done that, okay? I've got, my, I've got my birth certificate. But right now in life, there's a few areas that I'm just not trusting God with. And I would encourage you to spend this next couple minutes talking to him about that. Ask him to help you to trust him because we need his help. Showing him those areas, telling, well, he already knows, but, you know, acknowledging them and asking for help to give trust in those areas. And maybe you're like, I have no idea. If you're a person, we all have areas, by the way, that we need to continue to release control to God. None of us are at that I've arrived place, no matter how old your smogger bleeder is, okay? So that if you're a person, you're not in this camp, you're not here, like God's not like blinking lights at you and saying, okay, this is the area. Ask him, okay, over here, God, where can I learn to trust you more? What is an area of your life that, my life, that you're asking me to trust you more? Because we all have them. We all have them. You guys, Jesus is the only way. If only we place our trust in him and live for it. I'm going to pray, and then I'll give you guys a couple minutes, and then I'll close us. Lord, I just pray in this moment that you would be speaking to our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would be clear in this place. For some of us, it might be you're speaking very loudly, and some of us, it's just a quiet whisper. And some of us, you're like, I don't hear anything. I pray that these next couple of minutes we can be in your presence.
God, may we be a people who trust in you, live our lives in such a way because you loved us. You loved us first, and you continue to love us, and you're just waiting. May talking to you not just be something we do once in a while, but creating space for to do that. Continue to speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.